What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the other side, we got Nelson Helios. Nelson, what's going on? Brian, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, we're busy here at the racetrack at No Problem Raceway, doing lots of upgrades. Yeah, you mentioned that, that uh, you, uh, you were out on the tractor directing traffic and all kinds of fun stuff, right? Yes, I have uh, SEG out here cutting the, the track now. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I'm, I'm always a perfectionist. I want to make sure that, that, that we, we do it the right way so we give the racer the best possible surface. And so I was out there taking a look at a couple of spots that I, that I thought needed to be uh, looked at. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing a great job, man. They're doing a great job. Well, I, I think you'll agree with this, and I've always said this, that racers need three things to be happy. Prep, payout, program. If you do those three things racers will just they will make laps down the track and most of the sane ones will be very happy yep no, that's exactly right it's exactly right a surface is now critical because obviously today's cars are so wicked fast and technology has improved so much that they will know if that track is not right really quick so uh, we need to go to make that extra expense to make sure that that track is perfect. And uh, uh, I, I'm blessed to, to know that the owner here has, has allowed me to just spend the money to do it the right way so we can have the best track in the South. And, yeah, and I think that that's important <laughs> ownership and management realize from a, from a racer's point of view that you're going to put the money into the facility in the right spots to make their experience as best as possible. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. There's, uh, you know, obviously uh, the, the fan experience from the grandstands are very important because we've got to keep the fans uh, in, in a good place. We've got to make them happy so they come back and spend money with us. But at the same time, if we don't have a great show to put on, fans aren't coming. So the racetrack is very important. The equipment is very important to manage the racetrack correctly during a, an event. And then obviously, uh, you know, knowledge about how to put things together, how to, how to, how to prep the track correctly, how to keep things going. That's uh, I always call it the circus. We got to have a great circus in order to bring the fans and that will bring the fans in. And that's, that's the nail on the head is that ultimately racetracks are in a dual business. One of which is being the entertainment business besides mm -hmm. the event business, because yeah. with the way things are these days, you have to be, entertaining or people's attention span is so short they're not going to be interested in what you have going on yeah no that's right that's right and you know un un fortunately and unfortunately obviously there's a lot of racetracks out there that are all bidding for the same type of events and they're all doing a good job in, in producing the events so uh if, if we want that type of event here we have to shine we have to do something different we have to attract of, of people in a different fashion. So luckily now in Louisiana, um, the times that we have spent here in Louisiana in the past up in Shreveport, uh, we always try to give the flavor of Louisiana to our racers. And so when we bring some races from out of town, we want them to remember Louisiana and why they were here. So we use the Mardi Gras theme. We use a lot of the, the local types of foods here that are not prevalent in other places to give that fan experience something totally different. Um, uh, you know, a racetrack is a racetrack is a racetrack. Uh, it's two lanes, it's 1,320 feet. 
uh, or or 660 if you're running the, the you know eighth mile. But at the end of the day, is is how you produce the show and what you give them additional to that race car going down the track, which is what's going to keep those fans coming back. And that's why I always circle back to about Motorsports Park, just because the simple fact that you know they're known for stuff like that. You mentioned food. What's the first thing people say about Summit Motorsports Park when you say you're going there? Get the ice cream. And that is something that Bill Bader, again, the genius that he is, has found a way to make that like part of the experience there. So having an experience like that, it's like whenever I go to uh, to Thunder Valley for Nick Duty's track, I know that I'm going to the far side of the track to get the hot the tacos at the taco stand on the far side of the track because that's good food. It's stuff right. like that that you you draw people in with. Yeah, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. You think about it. What what does a pound of ice cream really do? But he's packaged it in such a great opportunity that that's what people talk about when they go to that racetrack. Oh my God, look at this, you know. And so yes, you got to have that 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 hook. Of, of why you want to bring that customer here and you got to give them something that's totally different to or unique to your facility to keep them coming back and then they spread the word and obviously that's how things are you know that they, these systems are made so it's great it, it, it's the entertainment factor it's like uh what was that broadway bob the the promoter that used to ride on the front of the jet car while drinking a beer or something like that i remember <laughs> seeing something about that you know it, it's things like that that you know you build that and it gets people to come back. Right, 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 right. And, and that's basically, you know, we're all trying to obviously put fans in the stands and, and trying to bring a great racing opportunity here. Um, so we're, we're prepping the track, we're doing things, we're putting equipment in place, we're doing, we're spending a lot of money in order to grab and, and, and let's say entice the bigger events that are going around the country to make a stop here before they go somewhere else. And so, Luckily, again, the owner has been able to uh, see that and has given me the opportunity to, to financially to go and, and, and chase that dream, um, which it really is. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. We're all in the business. We enjoy the business thoroughly. But now stepping into the entertainment business, we really, really have to go outside the box. We're no longer a racetrack. It, it, racing is something we do, but we have to get really totally different in an entertainment business. Now, you know, we'll get more into the track stuff a little bit later. And, it, you know, you, you kind of know a little bit about the entertainment side of the business, because at one point you, you were one of the, the lions that was part of the show. You know, a lot of people don't realize, I think that you're a multi-time champion in, in sport compact racing, the NHRA, which that was an interesting time because that was like that, that wave of import popularity when it first really struck hard with the mainstream what was it like riding that wave around that time? I tell you, that was that was fantastic. Um, I started initially in supplying parts to that industry and then got the opportunity to with Ford initially to build a race car and race it. And then the second year uh, I was drafted by Chevrolet to, to run their program. Um, it was it was to me, it was it was a lifetime, um, something that that comes once in your lifetime. And I, I jumped on that wave quickly. And, uh, you know, I was blessed to be able to win a lot of races, win a couple of championships. But uh, we quickly knew that we had to do something different for the fans, give that fan a really, really great show. So we did a lot of radio work. We did a lot of TV work. 
um, we would go and do um, Lisa Kubo and I, if you recall, we were we were button heads all the time, back and forth. Well, on camera, we were we were absolutely at each other's throats all the time. Behind the scenes, we were best friends. <laughs> so it really worked well for us because every time our cars went to the state starting line, everybody stopped what they were doing and, and went to the grandstands to see us go down because they knew of the huge rivalry that we had we had created. And that worked for us very, very well. Uh, it was it was a fantastic time. I, I was sad to see it go away so quickly. I thought it was going to stay around for a few more years, but it was it was a fantastic time in my life. And, and to me, it's interesting at the same time because people, well, you know, oh, there used to be, you know, the Sport Compact series or the Nopi series, but in my mind, import racing is still very much alive and well in the United States. When you go to events like the World Cup, you know, anything in Orlando and some of these right. other big events just because of the sheer, like you get to see kind of like what you helped build at those events and that level of popularity. Right, right. I mean, I enjoy all the sport compact events and in the East Coast, obviously they're very strong still. Uh, we have a, a couple of huge events down in Orlando. We have a couple of huge events up in Maryland. Um, so the sport compact racing is really still alive. Um, even though it's not a, a, a full on sanctioning body like we had, where it was the NHRA Sport Compact Racing, but these guys are still building cars that are wicked fast. And some of the things that are happening with those cars is just unbelievable. How do you have a four set, a four cylinder turbo car running in the five second range in the quarter mile? That is crazy. My <laughs> fifties. I mean, it, it, it was crazy at a at West Bucks race. I forget the gentleman's name that, that made that monstrous hit that reset the track record. I think it was the import record. Like we were watching the hit in the trailer. And like, at first I was like, Oh man, he, it's a throwaway run just because the car didn't look like it was getting out of the hole. And then all of a sudden, like I glanced back and I see how quick that car is closing on our mid track camera. I'm like, he's on a rip. And the mid track right. guy right. actually lost the car because he couldn't anticipate on how fast it was going right. and the scoreboard lights up and they are not the incrementals. I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, that dude picked up almost 60 mile an hour on the back half. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, our, our little car um, with Chevrolet, we were, we were picking up 40 and 45 mile an hour on the back end. I mean, it was, it was, it was nuts. It was, it went, I always said if, if I'm within a car length of, of the car, by the time we get to the eighth mile, he's going away because my car would accelerate so much on the top end. And uh, I mean, we were, we were running almost 200 miles an hour with that thing back in 2004, <laughs> you know, uh, with old technology uh, at, for today's standards. If we had the turbos that we have today and the, and the, and the systems, the electronic systems that we have today, that car would have been blistering fast. Was that with the front wheel drive car too? That was a front wheel drive car. Yeah. That's, yeah. Again, like, you know, people who are drag racing nerds think about that. They're right now the gears are turning their head. They're like, wow, that's like when you're picking up that much in the back half in a turbo front wheel yeah. drive car, that's that's not an easy task. No, I tell you, we we had a fantastic team, obviously Chevrolet was a great great brand to work for 
Um, they gave us all the tools that we needed to make things go. And uh, they were constantly thinking outside the box. Um, and so that car got quicker and quicker and quicker throughout the year. We started the year off running, um, you know, 790s um, at 175 miles an hour or so. By that, the end of that season, we were already at 740s at almost 196 miles an hour. It was crazy fast. Um, we got to the point where we, we, we you know, I, I was lucky to get a lot of advice from a lot of the professionals out there. We knew a lot of the teams. I, I serviced a lot of the teams. So they, they all knew me and they, they talked to me. We finally got that front wheel drive car to run a 116 60 foot and it would run 445 to the eighth. I mean, it was just monster, monster. And it was a front wheel drive car. It wasn't a rear wheel drive car. Um, and so it, it really, technology was really, really great. And, uh, and the team was good. So uh, some of the things that have continued uh, to work throughout the years. Now, my engine used to make 1,400, almost 1,500 horsepower then. Now they're making upwards of 2,000 horsepower. Four cylinder, 122 cubic inches. It's just crazy. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's amazing to watch all that happen and kind of see people figure out how to make that work. And you talk about supplying the parts and working with the teams. I think that's something that interesting, you know, I always like to do kind of like the behind the curtain kind of stuff, you right. know, talk, talk about that a little bit and something that maybe our, our listeners and viewers might not understand or know about like what it takes to build these programs and, you know, what, you know, kind of what you did. Well, I, 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 I worked for Ferreira valves for 10 years and I was their uh, national tech director. And so I would go from race to race, race to race all around the country, uh, obviously looking for customers to use our products. And uh, lucky for me, Mr. Ferreira, he was uh, Argentine born and raised and his factory was in Argentina, um, but he was here in the States selling the parts here in the States. We had contracts with Mercedes-Benz, with Peugeot, with Renault, with a lot of big major manufacturers that allowed us to buy unique types of materials, put unique heat treatments and things. So all of that spilled over to a lot of the heavy duty truck stuff basically spilled over into the racing scene. So we were able to manufacture a valve for the top fuel cars that out, outran and outperformed all the other valves out there in the industry at the time. And so my, my goal was obviously to get somebody to try it. So a lot of the times I would go to a fuel team, give them eight valves and say, put this in one head and leave the manufacturer that you're currently using in the other head and see what the difference is after you make the run. And generally, the other brands that they had in there would bend after one run, ours wouldn't. Well, it only took one run for them to realize, you know, hey, give me, give me another set. <laughs> yeah. So we, we caught on quickly and so we had a lot of the fuel cars. We did a lot of pro stock work. We did a lot of comp eliminator work. I worked with a lot of the engine builders across the country. And then I started supplying Ford and Chevrolet and Dodge with valve train components for the sport compacts. We made springs, we made retainers, we made valves. And so we did a lot of work with them. We had, you know, uh, times where we, we did uh, just, uh, well, Roush racing. I can say that now, Roush racing, we supplied Roush for many, 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 many years. 
And a lot of times they would come in uh, and land at the airport near us on a Thursday afternoon and needed 200 specific valves made because they were racing that weekend and we'd have to go back there in the machine shop, make them, give them to them and they would be off and put them in the motors and go racing that weekend. We had the ability to be very flexible with our stuff. We had a lot of blanks in stock, so we were able to machine things quickly. And uh, that gave us, uh, that, you know, that gave us a, a good, good, um, let's say a, a, a great threshold in the industry because we were very flexible and, and we were a little bit above our competitors in the types of materials, the type of heat treatments and the type of tolerances that we could, that we could keep. So we, we had a great product. And so it was rather easy to sell it to a professional team because they knew what the differences with our products and their and their former competitor products were. So that was a lot of fun. I did that for 10 years and that's actually what that gave me the stepping stone into uh, the sport compact scene because I was supplying them as a, as a supplier. So I had a kind of an inside track to that. And um, once I, I, I went ahead and got uh, the Ford team, the Ford team was, was a bid team and um, they were looking for numbers on the scoreboards. They couldn't care less if, if, if anybody won a race or, or they qualified or whatever. And so I, I, I asked for that team and I sent them a proposal. And um, they asked me at the time, well, what makes you different from some of the other people that we're, we're looking at? And I said, well, I've got an extremely powerful tool. It's a telephone. And I said, I have access to every professional team in the country. And they all know me, they all know, so I, I can get help immediately. And uh, sure enough, at the time, Warren Johnston was one of my uh, premier customers. So I called Warren and had the, the people at Ford talk to Warren. And Warren said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll help Nelson, absolutely. And that's what launched our program with the, the Ford. So we built a, a pro stock Ford Focus with a twin turbo V6 and a five-speed transmission. And uh, that thing was a rocket ship. Um, we actually, all year long, we, we went a little quicker, a little quicker every single run as to not blow the record apart to be able to get the record at every time we went out there and we won a championship with that car. Um, and, and so that would, that's what launched our career too with, with the, the Chevrolet. Chevrolet uh, was in need and um, they reached out to me and I, I said, absolutely, I'll, I'll, I'll go there and drive for you. And it turned out to be a fabulous three years with Chevrolet. See that to me, that's that's always interesting to see and hear how people get to where they are, and then the the story behind it, especially you know with the part suppliers and stuff like that, because that's a lot of things that people don't realize that actually happens behind the scenes. I think and how people get hooked up and how innovation happens in the sport. Mm -hmm. Right, right. We were in the we we were at the threshold of turning. Uh, a lot of RPM with the valve train. And the valve train was always, as people increased the RPM range of the motors, the valve train were the first thing that suffered. And so we had to build a better mousetrap, obviously. So we had a better valve, we had better springs, we had lighter components, and we were able to help teams raise their RPM range safely and not, you know, not have catastrophic damage to, to a motor. Our little four-cylinder at the time, and this, again, is back in 2004, we were running 10,750 was my shift points uh, for the little four-banker. So, I mean, it, we, were, we were almost at 11,000 RPM then. And that thing was just, I mean, it, it came alive and it worked and it loved it up there. Um, 
we we began the whole program shifting at 9,500, you know, 9,200, 9,500. And we thought that was the limits. And as we started pushing and pushing and pushing, man, that motor came alive. And today, 11,000 is, is, is a regular motor. I mean, it's no, no big deal anymore. So the valve train is very important. And, you know, I had a good opportunity to run with Ferreira for 10 years on that. And uh, uh, Mr. Ferreira taught me a lot uh, on, on what to do and how to do. And we had a lot of equipment. We had a lot of great engineers that um, never, ever said no. We always said, this is what we need. Okay, we'll figure it out. And, uh, and they did, they did fabulous work. And, uh, and today I've got, to, I'm, I'm proud to say that uh, I still follow Ferreira is a, is a, is a leading you know, uh, racing valve train manufacturer in, in the world. Uh, they've done a great job. Uh, the, you know, Daniel now has finally took it over uh, from Mr. Ferreira, Mr. Ferreira has retired. Uh, Daniel Jr. runs a lot of the um, stuff in the engineering department. His brother Zeke runs the marketing and stuff. So it's it's a it's a great you know it's a great business. I, I enjoy it thoroughly. I, I'm, I'm proud to have you know had ten years with them and uh, and I look forward to them continuing to grow and get more more uh, worldwide business. Now before we shift gears to our, our next section, I gotta thank our first sponsor here is uh, Holly and their their Intech Air intakes. Ditch that restrictive stock air filter and let your engine breathe with Holly's new line of Intech cold air induction systems. Intech systems are available for a huge assortment of late model cars, trucks, and SUVs and deliverable sizable improvements in horsepower and torque. Each system is precision molded for maximum airflow efficiency and ease of installation and a washable reusable four-layer dry air filter ensures long service under your hood. To find the right Intech system for your ride, head over to holly.com today. So, got our first sponsor plug out of the way. And I, I was doing right. a little bit of research and digging on you. And I didn't know that you were you did some land speed racing stuff. You know, let's talk about that a little bit because that's a that's a different animal entirely. Like I, a good friend of mine, I actually helped him out on his cars at Wilmington for some some half mile standing land speed stuff. And the best way I describe people is like drag racing is rugby. It's whiskey drinking, beer swilling, insanity of rugby. Land speed racing is wine and golf claps. Is that is that fair? Yep, yep that's fair to say. Absolutely. What yeah, was that, that? Was a that was yeah. What was that like? That, that was a great time. That was a great time. I we we um I was at. Uh, I had flown up to Michigan to Roush. Uh, Roush was my team, my, my team for the drag racing program. And I had flown up there. Um, they wanted to do some things with the car. So I was there. And while I was there at the back of the shop, they were building a new Cobalt race car. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking, wow, here's the next generation car. This is beautiful. So I go over there to take a look at it. And uh, the welder at the time says, hey, Nelson, hop in the seat. Uh, grab the steering wheel and, and you're about the right size. So just grab the steering wheel so I can get an angle on, on how the steering is going to be. So I was in there holding the steering wheel in place. And here comes a gentleman at the time. I didn't know who he was from GM. And he says, hey, Nelson, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm sitting in my car. They're, uh, they're, they're putting pedals in and they're checking the steering and stuff. I'm, I'm just I'm kind of fitting in here. I want to I make sure that I fit this car correctly when I go race it. And he says, really? He says, you, you want to race this thing? I said, yeah. I said, this is their new Bonneville car. I said, absolutely. I want to race this thing. You kidding me? He was the program director. 
So he says, oh, okay. So um, they put my hat in the ring and uh, I got a unanimous um, yes that uh, I was going to be the driver of the new Bonneville soft flats car. So this was a Cobalt. Um, we put a four-cylinder turbo in it, uh, just like Marty's car. Marty, Marty Ladwig, my teammate, had the Sunfire. We took an engine just like his, 800 horsepower, and we put it in the car and uh, went out to the soft flats other than basically have sat in the car when they were putting all the parts in, I had never driven the car. So um, we went out there and I, and I asked some of the guys, hey, how, how do you do this? How do you, how do you make this thing work? And they said, oh, just you know, accelerate a little bit and it'll come up to speed and just hold it straight. And you got five miles and at the end of the five miles then just pull your chutes, it'll slow down, everything's fine and dandy. I thought, well, that's, that sounds easy. So I, I went down the track and um, got my license the first time. I had to go 180 miles an hour. So I got my license and then uh, went to the big track. And um, the, I, I asked us, what, what's, what's the record? And they said, well, the record in your class is 211 miles an hour. I said, cool. I said, will this car go faster than that? He said, yeah, it should go. should go 225, 228, no problem. Okay, good. So I took off and this was a whole different program for me because obviously you know i mean i'm i'm tugging on switches tugging on on parachutes tugging on stuff in seven seconds and here i am you know a minute and a half in this car just watching everything going around me i it was almost to the point of boring because my adrenaline rushes are normally seven seconds well here i am i mean i'm just going down this this racetrack and this i'm i'm okay here's mile marker one uh, a little while later, okay, here's mile marker two. <laughs> and it was like, wow. So over the radio, I, I hear, well, um, you know, give me a reading at, at RPM level and give me uh, a reading for, for uh, water pressure, this and that. So I gave them all the readings and they, they, they said, well, how'd you do that? I said, you know, I said, I scan all the everything in seven seconds. So for me to scan something like this for a while, it, this, was, this was, you know, easy. To do so ultimately i went 225 mile an hour the first time that was great it broke the record so came back a second time and ran uh, we put a little bit more boost on it ran 235 miles an hour and so everything was going good except i was i, I it took a long time for the motor to get up to speed I, I was at mile three or so before really it got up to speed and so i said you know um I'm going to try something different. So I called GM and I said, Hey, uh, I'm leaving in second gear. Um, why am I leaving in second gear? And they said, why are you? I don't know why. I said, I, I was told it didn't have a first gear. I said, no, no, that transmission has a first gear. I said, okay. I said, well, 7,500 RPM. What's a mile an hour on that? They said, Oh, it's 55 mile an hour. Okay, great. So I told the truck driver who was pushing me, they, they push you at the beginning to get you up to speed before you go. I told the drug driver, I said, get me to 55 miles an hour as fast as you can get me, blow the horn and get out of the way. He said, what are you going to do? I said, don't worry about it. Just go. So my theory was I was going to do a five mile drag race. I was doing a five mile leisure race prior and it was getting speed at three, at three mile at four mile. Then the final speed was at five miles. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to drag race this thing. So I got up to speed at 7,500. I slammed it in the first gear. I whacked the throttle and this thing just rooster tail completely. It was going. 
it got to 10,000 RPM, which is where I wanted the motor to be. So when it was up there, I shifted into second gear and this thing was gone. Needless to say, when I got to the third mile mark, I was at 245 miles an hour already. And I had two more miles to go. So I thought, you know what, this is great. This is gonna go. So I hear over the radio, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. Okay, so I thought, well, something happened. I clicked it off, pulled the parachutes, got off the track. When the crew chief came to get me, I said, what happened? He said, you were going too fast. I said, what do you mean I'm going too fast? He says, you were already at 245 miles an hour at the third, third mile mark. We don't want to go that fast because we want to come back next year and break the record again. <laughs> <laughs> I have never, ever been shut down for going too fast. And, and so, so be it. Uh, so the record stood at 243 miles an hour um, for a little while. Then I got a, a contested... Uh, from the SCTA, since the car that I was driving was basically 001, and the car had not been put out to sell yet, it was going in October, and we were running in August, they disallowed the record. So I was, I was not able to, quote, officially set the record, but we all knew I ran that fast and everything was, was good. So was confident to come back in the next year, but, uh, but that's when the program unfortunately ended. So we didn't, we didn't get a chance to come back. Um, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. That's wild because it, again, it, it comes back to like lane speed racing to me. When, when I got into that with my, with my buddy doc, like it's such a different universe and how they operate, what yeah. they do. Like it, it's so formal it, it's, yeah. it's like it, it's such a weird like vibe compared to drag racing and it honestly does not surprise me at all that they told you to clip it early because they don't want you to shake a tail feather too hard and set that record right too right. far out right right and so this, this you know this record prior uh to the 211 mark was at 198 so they went from 198 to 211 and then here i come along and i run 225 235 245 and they're thinking, uh, no, 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 no. We're not going 260, 270 in this car because um, it'll just destroy the record in the car and, and that class. And then, you know, so um, consequently, they, they ultimately went back with the car uh, six years later, the same car, and they finally ran 249 miles an hour. Um, so they, they at the time had, had called me a couple of times and said, well, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? And I said, no, nah, I can't tell you that. If I have to tell you that, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. You know, and uh, I said, you want to go fast? Put me back in the car. I'll go fast with it, you know? So it was something that I figured, you know, it was, it was interesting the way, you know, obviously the, 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 the salt there was, was like driving on ice. So you had to be very careful with how you moved the car and how you, so they had a, a black line in the middle and I straddled that black line and I didn't move two feet from that black line. And they, I was told, oh, the car's going to drift one way, just let it go. And it'll drift the other way, just let it go. And I'm figuring, no, 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 I don't want to go side, side to side. I want to go straight. And uh, so it, it really worked. It was, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun there. And for me, like, it's always cool to check out land speed racing stuff because it's, it, it's built so much different than a drag yeah. car and how it operates. And I don't think a lot of people understand how difficult it is to do that because yeah you can go fast in drag racing but it's only for you know 
1320 feet you got to keep this car alive for in some like that stuff miles and then to make the horsepower required to keep climbing at that rate is not an easy task at all there's a lot that goes into it yeah there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot of aerodynamics that you have to be you know uh, that you have to understand because in, in again in a in a in a drag race car we really don't we have downforce aerodynamics that we have to deal with but we don't have a lot of worries about underbelly uh force where out there in the, in the middle of, of that as you're going faster there's an awful lot of air moving underneath that car and if you can't get it out correctly it, it, it's going to be a problem it's going to yeah, be a problem you, you go from being a driver to a pilot in a hurry yes yes exactly right exactly and, right and that's that's not where you want to be yeah 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 and uh you know and they, and they, I, I saw while we were there i saw a few bad you know wrecks and things and uh um, you go and you try to see what happened and analyze them and, and things. And, and so uh, with, with our situation, uh, again, Chevrolet was fantastic because um, we were able to do some wind tunnel testing with this car prior to taking it out there. So they knew the numbers that needed to happen and what they needed to do. And something as simple as they had headlight covers. We had the original factory headlights on the Cobalt's but then they made a headlight cover that they would put on there. That headlight cover made so much stability on that front end that it was unbelievable um, because it didn't let the airflow get underneath the air lights and go through the grill and all the rest of the parts. We were able to actually duct it correctly to get it in and out. Um, and that car worked really good. I'm, I'm sure that car could have gone 265, no problem. And you think about that, 265 miles an hour with that a four cylinder automatic transmission car. <laughs> That's wild. It, crazy, crazy. But I, I always, I was teasing them. I said, you know, this motor that you have in this car makes 800 horsepower. And that's wild. That's really good. I said, but I've got a motor in my drag car that makes 1500 horsepower. I said, why don't we put my drag motor in this thing and go? And they said, no, 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 no. We don't want to go that fast. <laughs> yeah. Again, it comes down to keeping that alive. Because I had someone ask that's not a big drag racing fan or understand sport the like what would happen if you just let a top fuel car just run like run a mile i said it would go depending on the tune-up 1322 feet before bad things happen mm -hmm. in a hurry yeah that's, that's how most of these engines are designed <laughs> they're designed yeah. to go so fast so far for so long and you don't want to go past that point it's just yeah. it's it's a line of demarcation once you go past that all bets are off right yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 No, that, that's absolutely right. And then, you know, uh, hats off to a lot of the engine builders that build engines for that type of racing. I know, um, you know, Dotweiler, Kenny Dotweiler had built a lot of motors and he's got a lot of different records with that Speed Demon car. Um, they're the fastest piston engine car out there. I mean, they were, they were ran great for many, many years. And um, there's a bunch of guys from South uh, North Carolina that uh, got into some of that racing too and uh you know and they've done real well with it so it is it is a little bit different the way you build the motors to make it last you still obviously want to make as much power as you can but then you got to really contend with the car what car are you going to use how are you going to use it the suspension that you're going to have in it the aerodynamics that you're going to put on it uh that has a lot to do with it we um when we were racing out there with the cobalt um at the time um the speed demon car uh, which was a, a um, uh, oh gosh, um, 
I forgot the category that they ran, but it was a, it was a, it looked, it looked like an airplane, basically. It had a, a inline wheels in the front that were covered. It had a nice cockpit. It had a really beautiful line. Uh, it was a streamliner is what they, what they called yes. it. it uh, we loaned him one of my engines uh, out of my Cobalt into that car. I ran 245. He ran 353 with the same engine. So just because of the aerodynamics, uh, it, it absolutely ran, you know, phenomenal. So uh, land speed racing is definitely a science. And, and you see now more and more cars, these streamliners that are being built, they're very, very technical and they do really, really well. And they're, you know, they're, they consistently go 300, 400, 500 miles an hour. I mean, it's crazy. I think that uh, the Speed Demon car has gone now um, like 460 or 470 uh, with, a, with a piston engine, you know, single engine. <laughs> it's crazy how fast they've been going. Uh, so imagine how fun that would be. Oh, I could only imagine how much of a hoot that would be to just, you know, stab and steer. Now, your career path has changed, as we could tell many times, you know, as you've been through the performance mm-hmm. industry. And you've, you've kind of now, you know, more on the, the facility side of things. We talked about that earlier. You're not no problem raceway and whatnot. Let, let's rewind a little bit. How did you end up going from slinging parts to <laughs> racing cars to managing the track? Because again, that's like three different, that's not even three different branches on the tree. That's three different trees entirely. Yeah, yeah, it uh, it was a it, it's been a it's been a great ride. Um, I I enjoyed the the parts business very much. I, I liked uh, inter interacting with 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 crew chiefs and 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 people who engine builders and things and being able to supply some great parts to them. Um, that led me into uh, professional racing. I had done a lot of racing on my own prior to that, but professional racing that's how I got into that deal. And that worked out real well. Um, the, the only drawback to these professional programs is that once you set the bar um, so high, unless you have a great sponsor, you don't want to go back out and not be able to perform at the level that you have performed in the past. So when I retired from active racing, I, I, I felt that you know without, without the sponsorship uh, dollars, I couldn't compete at the level that I wanted to compete. So I, I, I went out on top and uh, decided that I wanted to open up a driving school. So my wife and I got together and we opened up a driven to win drag racing school that was really dedicated to more of the younger crowd uh, to get them to transition into racing safely and use, we use the, the cliche of keep it off the streets, take it to the track. And we were at Moroso Motorsports Park in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, that was our home track, and we were there for many, many years. Um, when Sumaroso sold the track to what became uh, Palm Beach International Raceway, uh, the group was busy uh, doing a lot of different things. So we had less time and less time on the racetrack. So we started traveling a little bit, went to different tracks and hosting our events and things, and found ourselves that we were always at the mercy of the events of the racetrack we could never say, this is the date we want. It was always, this is a date we have available. And so we decided, we looked and looked and we decided, you know, we really need to get a track for ourselves to be able to manage our driving school correctly. So we looked all around the country and we found the track in Shreveport, Louisiana, of all things, Thunder Road Raceway. 
it had been closed for a while and um, we uh, made a deal with the owner to take it over and open it up. And so we thought, okay, here we go. We're going to have our own facility and now we can manage our own driving school. And so we started doing that and quickly learned that we needed to host a few events to be able to make enough money to pay the bills. So we started hosting some events and uh, lo and behold, four four years later, uh, we were full-time events uh, and possibly part-time driving school. And so uh, it, it opened up a whole new window of opportunity for us. We had a lot of good events. I had PDRA come out. I had the NHRA Divisional Fours uh, race. I had quite a few big races out there. We did real well with them. So it kind of opened our eyes a little bit to track management and track uh, and promoter development, things like that. So um, that track, we were there to buy it. And um, on the fifth year, we tried to exercise the buy option. The owner decided he didn't want to sell it to us anymore. So it, it kind of got ugly. We went to court with it and the whole thing. So we ended up leaving. He paid us and we ended up leaving. Uh, so we went to uh, Georgia our son was having another another son, so we went to Georgia to be with him for a while and uh, met with Ozzy at one of Donald's races. I wanted to see Donald's race in person. I had never, I've always followed it, never saw it. So we were there for that weekend, saw the race, met everybody. It was cool, great, 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 and left. Um, a few days later, Ozzy calls and says, hey, um, are you still on vacation? <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? He says, man, I had a promise that my manager left me. I've got five events to do before the end of the year. I don't have anybody. Can you help me? I said, yeah, man, I'll, I'll come and help you. I'll, I'll, I'll manage it for you until you find somebody, you know? Okay, great, great. So we went there and uh, my wife and I looked at it and we saw that there was a lot of things that he wasn't doing that we did in Shreveport. And so we said to him, listen, you know, if um, we, we'd like the opportunity to take it over. He handed me the keys. He says, thank you very much. See you later. Bye. Here you go. So we ended up managing SGMP for four years, uh, hosted a lot of great races there, did, did a lot, learned a lot about track prep, uh, was doing a lot of track prep, and, and um, uh, we, we, we had a great uh, opportunity to deal with the city of Adel, and we, we were on first name Mason with the mayor and with the city managers and city attorneys and things. So we ended up doing well there. Um, and again, we wanted to take the next step. Now we wanted track ownership again. <laughs> so um, we, we got uh, a phone call from NHRA um, that No Problem Raceway needed some help and were we interested in maybe coming back, taking a look at this. So uh, we came here, we talked to the owner, um, great man. And uh, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a road racer himself. So he's, he's in the market, he understands it. And um, he said, listen, you, you, you guys are free to do whatever you need to do to make this place go. I'll support you financially. I'll support you with whatever you need, but we need to we need to make this place go. And ultimately, it can become yours. Whenever you're ready, you tell me, and it and it, it, it it is yours. So we came here and uh, started working on it, and so now have had a pretty aggressive plan, uh, fixing the track and and painting and and uh, finishing the the. We have a bar here right below the tower. We're going to change that into a bar grill, so that way we can have families in here. Uh, it's a big facility. It's uh, 200 plus acres. It's got a road race track in the back. So uh, we ended up, uh, you know, almost now full-time promoters and track operators. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I love speed. I love to be able to give people the opportunity to bear, to go fast at 
at my facility. And so uh, I, I get a kick out of that just as much as if I was in the, in the driver's seat. Uh, when I was teaching people how to go fast, I got my, my kicks watching them successfully make runs down the track. So uh, this is just another version of speed for me. Um, and, and now I, I have a little bit more control of how the operations run. And so, uh, I, you know, I've always been to tracks. I, I, I ran around all the country uh, going to different tracks. And so I got an opportunity to see how other managers manage their facility. And I always ask questions. What do you do here? What do you do there? How come this? How come that? And I think that, you know, that gave me a lot of knowledge on what to do and what to expect. And, and being a former racer, I understand what racers want. So I think I can give them that. And at the same time, being a, a business owner, I understand I have to make money to keep the doors open. So it gives me a pretty unique uh, uh, move. And uh, my wife is, she's a, a, a forensic auditor. So she's, she knows money, she understands money, she understands how to make it go. And so she's, she's really good. Uh, she handles the front gate, she handles all the, the personnel. So it's, it's, you know, we form a good team. She allows me to be on track and dedicate myself to the track, make sure the track is perfect all the time for the racing. And she handles all the stuff on the front side. So it works out great for us. Now, before I, I kick the, you know, our final segment here, I got to hit off our, uh, our last sponsor of this episode. It's a Manly. Manly Dual Drag Series valve springs provide the load capabilities of triple springs with a reduced size and mass of a dual valve spring. This provides improved valve train control at a higher RPM potential. An additional benefit over triple springs is the reduced friction, which greatly reduces load loss, while multiple step surface enhancement improves fatigue strength. Check more out at manly.com, manlyperformance.com about these great valve springs. Valve train stuff. We talked about that earlier yeah. with her, and you know, it's all yeah. it's all got to work together, right? It does. It does absolutely. Now I had well, a, I had a great run with trip manly for a while. Yeah. I've, it's funny, you know, I, I joke that, you know, kid test and mother approved, you know, with parts and stuff, especially on this show with, you know, Mosier and we, you know, their show sponsor, we beat on their stuff quite a bit. Well, I use Manly on a few of our, our builds as well. And again, if I always joke, I said, if me and my meathead friends can use these products and not destroy them, that should really tell you how good they are. Right, 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 right. Exactly right. Yeah. So you talked about, you know, it was interesting seeing you kind of lay out the, the timeline of what you did in the track operations point of view, which, again, I've helped put on events in different capacities. So I completely understand. I will be one of the last people to at least publicly complain about an event. You know, I might say something in private to the people in charge, like, hey, you, you might want to address this. Because mm -hmm. Lord knows, you know, you're like trying to herd cats to take a bath when you're in charge of a racetrack. Right, right. When right. you're running one of these facilities and holding these big events, you know, you know, what makes that fun and challenging for you? Because everybody's got their thing that kind of trips their trigger and that they enjoy, you know. For for you, what's it what's fun and challenging about you know doing this that keeps you doing it? Um two things. Obviously, my my first and foremost is is numbers on the scoreboards. Um, if I can successfully give the opportunity for someone to run a personal best or run a class record, that to me gives my rocks off. I mean, that, that, I love that. And then secondly, um, 
at the end of the event, I like to hear, man, you guys did a great job. Your team did a great job. This place was, was rocking. Everything ran smooth. Um, we'll be back. That's obviously what keeps us going because uh, you put in endless hours. I mean, uh, uh, sometimes we're at the track at, you know, earlier than six o'clock in the morning and we don't leave till two, three o'clock in the morning because we've got to get that place clean because the next day when the doors open, we're on TV. So we got to make sure that that place looks like it hasn't been, you know, that nobody's been there. Um, so we, we have to have a great team around us. And so uh, we, we pride ourselves in bringing people and, 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 and treating them like family and giving them the same drive that we would want to do. And, and I, and, you know, I, I tell them all, I said, listen, I, I do everything here. I pick up trash, I clean toilets, I do anything and everything. So don't be surprised when I ask you to do something outside your wheelhouse. I need you to get things done. And sometimes I just need another body, another person to help me in, in getting this accomplished. And we, we, had a, we have had a great team and we're putting together a team here. Um, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And so uh, that's something that's very, very crucial to us is being able to have people that understand the business, that love the business as much as we do, and then have the drive to, to be the best at what they do. And then we try to give them all the tools possible to achieve their goals. And so uh, as, as, a, as a, let's call it a promoter, track operator, track promoter, um, I get enjoyment when all of the racers are absolutely, you know, great, do great numbers, personal best, class records and things. And, and, and they come back and they say, man, that track was great. And then for, from the fan base, I, I, I like to hear, man, we had a great time. Food was good. Entertainment was great. We're going to be back next time you have another event. And that's, that's the goal. That's the goal to reach, to, to reach out and make everybody happy so they can come back in and spend more money with us. <laughs> now, Nelson, I'd like to change things up and have fun on the podcast. And I like, I'm not going to say torture my guests, but I like to keep them, keep them on their toes and keep things interesting. So oh oh. I'm going to start a new thing with you. We're going to call it story time. Story As racers, time. Okay. fans and everything else, we all have stories. We all, you know, you've been on the road enough going to races, going to tracks. You've seen some things. You've mentioned that you, you know, Donald's races. I've been to a lot of Donald's races again. I've seen some things. I've seen men literally riding horses <laughs> through the pits. I've seen people dressed as Ricky Bobby riding through the pits, waving to the crowd like the yeah. Queen of England. We can make this completely anonymous if you want. You don't have to, you know, to protect the guilty and whatnot. What, you know, what's a fun story you could tell about your travels that just jumps out in your mind that you tell people, you know, for the shock value that they'll never, you know, you'd never believe this, but I'm going to tell you the story anyway. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind that, you, you know, that, that's a fun story you can tell? Um, there, there's obviously several, but uh, one, one that really um, shocked me as a racer um, when I was with Chevrolet and we went to race at Vegas for the very first time. I get out of the airport and go around the corner, get on the highway, and there I see a huge billboard with my face and my car with 10 to 1 odds. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, what, what, 
I, I, I couldn't I couldn't grasp it at the moment. I get into town, we go into MGM, and they now have their sports betting. They're betting on everybody racing this weekend. And I'm a favorite to win. And it was, I mean, I had never obviously been in that position. And, and it was like, wow, look at this. And we were walking through um, the lobby and, and one of the, the people came out and said, hey, are you Nelson Hoyos? I said, yes. I'm thinking, okay, who's this person knows me? I'm in Vegas. Nobody knows me here. Oh, I just saw your, I just saw all of your information on the billboard. I saw this. I saw that. Yeah, I bet on you. I did this. I did that. And I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was a lot of fun. It was um, really um, humbling at the time that, that so many people outside of my circle knew what I was doing and what was going on and, and was sharing as part of, of the successes that I was having. Um, so all of that was really, really interesting. And so um, I luckily, yes, I did win the race and uh, made a lot of people happy. And I wish I would have bet on myself. I may, maybe would have made some more money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that, that that would definitely be a, a, a mind trip moment, you know, it was it just was. across the board to see you on a bull, you know, a billboard. Then there's the betting odds and then there's people talking about it. It's like, is racers, unless, you know, you're, you know, like a John force, you know, a Tony right. Schumacher, like right. they're used to that. Right. Whereas if you're not used to that, when that happens, it, it kind of catches you off guard at first. It, it did. It really did. It really did. I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, as far as, you know, the betting part of it, I always related to boxing, you know, MGM, uh, Caesars Palace, all that was always boxing. And so to see these folks all of a sudden take a turn and we were here, this little sport compact group coming into town and we were front center on everything. It was like, wow, this is really cool. And, uh, and yeah, it, it caught me. It was a humbling moment. It caught me by surprise because that, you know, I never, never even dawned that something like that could happen to our, our, let's call it our racing society, let alone would it happen to me um, where I was, you know, one of the favorites to win. So it was interesting. It was really interesting. It was, it was one of those moments where you say, wow, this is cool. <laughs> Speaking of cool and fun again, you know, another thing I, I like to hit my guests with fun questions. And like I said, I've got a time machine. I've got an unlimited bank account. I've got all kinds of things to make these questions happen. Hey. So, so for you, I'm going to give you the bank account kind of scenario. You've just built the ultimate drag racing facility. You know, the one that you always dream about when you're zoning out on the freeway driving along. And you get to pick five events, any events you can poach them to bring them to your facility. You know, across the globe, the universe of drag racing. You know, you got to think of this almost from a promoter standpoint. Which events are you going to bring and when are you going to schedule them? Because as well, you know, as well as I know, the time of year and the month you schedule something plays a big role in how it works out. So, you know, what five events would you would you bring to the to the ultimate version of No Problem Raceway? Wow. Well, um, well timing wise, I would stay away from the summertime here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, June to early September. It is brutal here. Um, uh, it, it just it's very hot, very humid. 
and uh, not not a time to go racing, obviously. Unless you're doing um, the night drudge racing stuff. E even even at night, it's it's 80 plus degrees here. Oh wow! So it's 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 bad. No <laughs> it's, it's bad. No um, so definitely, uh, you know, would be a fall race or would be a uh, a spring race. But uh, I I I've always liked to do a little bit of everything. So I would love to bring a lights out, no mercy, sweet sixteen, magic eight type race here, big radial tire race, super big radial tire race. I'd love to bring an NHRA national event obviously um i think that has still a lot of good um potential for to make money and bring fans into the seat um i enjoyed thoroughly having the man cup motorcycle race at sgmp when you have 800 motorcycles on premises for four days and you have larry the spider-man mcbride running five fifties at 260 miles an hour on technically one wheel. Um, it's an awesome race. It's an awesome race. Uh, and, and for motorcycle fans, motorcycle guys, I mean, that is the ultimate race period. Um, and I always do like to have, you know, some, some, some things that are a little bit different. Um, I loved the SFG, uh, race that I had at SGMP also. Kyle does a fabulous job with the big buck bracket races. Um, while they may not be a great fan race, and I'd be and I believe it's just because it wasn't promoted properly. But as far as, as racers heaven, and when you got 500 race cars and they're they're, you know, a a a double O two light is late. <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy how good they are. Um, so I, I would like to, uh, my, my goal has always been to kind of change it up throughout the season to keep a different circus coming in every month so that I keep the fans engaged, that they're not coming to see the same thing over and over and over again. I like to have a little bit of flavor out there to be able to do a little bit of everything. And it's funny, I talked to Todd Martin last show, and that was one of the things that he mentioned, is that they try to target something once a month that brings people in. That, you know, that, you know, your, yeah. your, do your dollars are limited. You can't bring them in every week, but if you can bring in a lot of people once a month to something, that, right. that, that might lead to someone wanting to come more often. But, you know, it's yeah. like you're, you're playing the odds. The odds are yeah. if you have one big month, something a month, more people are going to come. Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's, I, I guess that, you know, that's in line with most of our, us promoters. We, we need to keep the doors open all year round. We need to make enough money to pay the bills. And again, um, we may be in, like myself here, uh, we're in areas that are not heavily populated within an hour. So we need to reach outside of our uh, area in order to bring in the fans. And so in order to do that, you've got to bring events in that will attract those fans from two and three hours away that will make the drive to come here because they want to see that particular race. And in order to do that, you still need to diversify because you don't want to bring the same event every month or every other month, because then 
once the fans have seen it once or twice, they've said, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. And, and they leave it at that. It, it, it's a lot like that, uh, that movie, The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman, that you got to constantly reinvent your circus to get people to come back. To, exactly. to, to keep you know to get those people to, to come say oh, i want to do that again it's like you know when i worked at disney you know the circus delay show they have is the same one all the time well you go once it's like why am i going to go back that's something that's targeted to first time people only you know drag racers want to see all the flavors of the circus at all different times and sometimes right. they want to be the star of the show you know that that's what you got to look at right exactly right exactly right well, Nelson, our time here is coming to an end, and I like to give my guests their opportunity to take the floor, pull out their Energon Force card, thank their sponsors, tell people where to find them and do the whole deal. So, Nelson, I'm going to turn it over to you, my friend. You can tell people where to find more information about your facility. Thank you. You need to thank. So, you know, take it away, my friend. Well, good. Thank you so much. First, I want to thank you, Brian. Thank you very much for the time that we've spent together. Really appreciate that. And, uh, folks, uh, No Problem Raceway in Belrose, Louisiana. Uh, we've got a brand new website. Gary Rowe has done our, our new website, uh, uh, raceworks.com. He does a great job. He does our new website. Uh, we have our new website there. So you can go either to noproblemraceway.com or racenpw.com. And uh, love, love for you all to come out and, and, and uh, visit us sometimes. We have uh, had the opportunity now to, we're having SEG out here, Southeast Grinders. They're grinding the racetrack, making it super flat, super good. Um, I've got Brandon Mass out here doing the final diamond cutting on the, on the track. So uh, we've got some brand new equipment. I've got brand new tractors. I've got brand new um, uh, blowers. I got all sorts of neat equipment here that are going to make it really, really nice. And the one thing that I have that not very many tracks around the country have is we've got grandstands with roofs. And so I'm going to put some fans under the roofs to keep all of our fans in really good shape all day long. They're gonna love it here because now they're no longer in the middle of the sun during the day. Uh, so we've got some great uh, opportunities to, to help the fans grow in this area. And uh, I hope that we can be a catalyst to bring a lot of great events into this area. So uh, obviously I wanna thank the owner, Harold Petit for allowing us to, and giving us the opportunity to do it here. And uh, we've got a, a, a big, big amount of people that we're trying to uh, bring in as sponsors. So in our next show, I'll give you a long list of people that have been contributing to our success. Awesome, Nelson. Of course, I thank all sponsors that let me come on here and be a goofball with my drag racing friends, performance distributors, Airflow Research, ProCharger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, Mosier Engineering, Comp Cams, Fuel Air Spark Technology, Elderbrock, Manly, JE Pistons, and Dart. Nelson, it was a pleasure nice. to have you on. It's great to see you again. Uh, I know I saw you many times at SGMP. Hopefully I can uh, make my way down to Louisiana at some point and uh, check out your new playground. Love to have you here, buddy. Talk to you soon, sir. Thank you. Thank you.